Hello, welcome to the latest Heard at Harvard podcast. Today we're joined by Emma Roffey, VP of Growth Marketing EMEA and Global Advocacy at Cisco, and Andrew Last, our very own MD of Marketing Services here at Harvard. So before we kick off the conversation, do you kind of both want to introduce yourselves? So um, Emma, do you want to go first and give us a bit of a history? A history, yeah. Donkey's years at Cisco, basically. <laughs> too many to uh, too many to tell in uh, primarily marketing. So probably covered all roles in marketing at Cisco. And then I did have a stint in our uh, channel organization as well, um, really looking after our partners in what we used to call the emerging. So Middle East, Africa, Russia, CIS region. Um, so quite a broad experience. And as you say, recently, last three years running EMEA Marketing, and um, I had an opportunity to do something more globally, and I grabbed uh, advocacy very quickly. And uh, I think within 15 minutes of asking for it, I had that team back, which was great. So now running global advocacy as well. So my background is 20 years in creative agencies, and the majority of that has been in B2B marketing, a subject and an area that I just get really passionate around. And I really do find myself in the industry and at Harvard as well, trying to champion best-in-class creative and strategic B2B marketing. And that's really where I like to put my focus and passion. Oh, that's amazing. And so I guess jumping straight into the Cisco stuff, do you want to kick that off, Ellie? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, on these podcasts, we've spoken a lot with guests over the last few months about the tech, the companies that have helped us get through what's obviously been a a really difficult time, the businesses um, that have helped us get through. And obviously, Cisco's been absolutely central to this. Yeah. I think starting with, I guess, what it's been like for you working right at the center of that at Cisco in the last 12 months and what it's been like for the brand, but also where next, because it just feels like there's so much opportunity. Yeah. So um, it's quite interesting. What was it? March the 23rd when we look back. I, I remember that date because it was my husband's birthday and we were supposed to be going to the Seychelles for a wedding anniversary, our 25th wedding anniversary, and obviously couldn't go. But overnight, over 75,000 of us just overnight started working from home. So for us, it was very easy to do. And I know for a lot of companies, it was extremely painful because they weren't obviously set up like that. So for us, it was very easy. We had been working quite hybrid over the last couple of years anyway. So it was very natural. But the difference was being, well, this is it. This, This is your only option. So we focused a lot on, well, I did personally, I focused a lot on the culture you know, as well as everything else. And uh, I'm really proud of, of what we built up from a team. But for Cisco as a whole, and particularly for WebEx, we pivoted straight along on to WebEx to enable everyone. Um, and I think, you know, terms like the internet is a lifeline, or I think Chuck Robbins, our CEO, sort of said, you know, the internet is now a human right. Um, and that's something we are really passionate about powering an inclusive future for all. Because, it has enabled more of that equality, but also it's it's actually emphasised the digital divide too, because many people still, you know, billions do not have that access and we need to, to work on powering that inclusive future for all. So for us, it was, I've never worked so hard in all my life. Never, ever. Um, so it was quite, and I feel a bit guilty saying this, I actually loved lockdown, loved it. I loved the change of pace um, not having to fly somewhere each week. I have to say now I do miss that. 
um, I'm ready to uh, spread my wings again. But I suppose the technique just made it very easy for us. What we had to carefully insist go and everyone was, you know, we had to draw the line like many did between home life and work life because in global roles, you're free. There was nothing else to do. I could watch some, you know, other Netflix series or I thought, do you know what? I'll jump on this call. And I had to, you know, really, really check myself there. But for us, yeah, the company thrived because not only on the WebEx side, but access to the internet, um, the security side. You know, if you remember back, there was a lot of debate around how secure your connection was, how secure your data was, how, you know, how secure the infrastructure so, yeah, and also people's then infrastructure was creaking at the seams and a lot of people need to do upgrade. So we were busy, busy, busy and still are now enabling that that hybrid work. So if you ask about the future, Ellie, yes, this enablement of the hybrid work and getting people's on-prem or cloud or changing the way people are buying, uh, what they're buying and, and setting up sort of future proofing because who knows when we might need to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what next? How does that change in terms of what's coming next for, for Cisco Emma? Um, actually, probably people don't know. We're one of the top six software companies in the world. So, and that's why I say it's focusing. Yes, of course, we focus on on what we market, what we sell. But now it's also how we're buying. So new routes to market. Uh, we'll look at the hyperscalers, marketplaces, agency models, you know, so that so how we're how we're selling and where people are buying is expanding and how they want to buy is changing. So having this cloud and on-prem offering more and more into the cloud. So it makes it very consumable. It really helps companies scale as they scale without huge capex, you know, investments, but also as I said, people are, are are looking at everything from how they're enabling hybrid work. Is their infrastructure set up? What they need to do to have secure access from home or from wherever they want to work? Because we know places, you know, you don't go to work for a place. And in fact, is you know, we're like, well, you, yeah, you can work from anywhere. Obviously, we know that. But I think what a lot of companies are looking at, including ourselves, is what do you actually go to the office for? And it's changing the dynamics. And if you speak to a lot of facilities management, so we've got a new lot of buyers out there as well. If you look at facilities management, a lot of work's going on how you change the infrastructure in offices, how they're set up, what meeting rooms you need, what size. And even, you know, right at the start, I remember saying this is fundamentally going to change housing design as well. You know, where it's all been a very open plan. It's like, mm, this is going to go back. Or you've seen the growth in garden rooms and people having that space, you know, a, a, as well as home. So it's fundamentally changing a lot of things. But security is at the heart, yeah. you know, the heart of that. In, and that is where we're growing and that is where we're playing, you know, very, very strongly as well. And also when something goes wrong, you need that full visibility across the network to remediate really fast. Um, so a lot of areas on our, our full stack observability too. So Cisco getting into um, garden rooms sounds like the, the connected <laughs> garden room sounds like a PR dream waiting to happen. We're certainly not, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but what we do provide is a fantastic setup when you've got your garden room. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. And I guess moving on to uh, marketing. So we know that creativity is something that's always been really important to you. How, as part of that narrative, do you kind of structure your campaigning, certainly with advocacy and growth marketing, to keep it kind of at the cutting edge of creativity and ahead of the curve? 
I think what what I have been very conscious of, of, of people doing because we work for a very you know global company, and that's what I want to say. It doesn't stop innovation and creativity, and that can be from very small improvements through to large ideas. And in Cisco, you know, if you have a great idea, dollars will always be found. We were talking dollars, sorry. Dollars will always be found if you have a great idea. So there's nothing. There's nothing to stop you being innovative and creative, just yourselves. So I'm very conscious of that. And, and we've set up this challenge to make it more formal. We had a light bulb challenge. And I think, I can't remember, over hundreds of ideas came in and we had a competition. We whittled them down, but that's ongoing. And even I had a, an all hands the other week and I even referenced, um, you know, how small innovation can be. And I referenced the urinals in Schiphol Airport. And I found this fascinating. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the urinals in, in Schiphol Airport, they had a problem with men missing the mark uh, when they are going to the toilet, shall we say, and they needed to be encouraged to be more accurate. So in the urinal, of, and I suppose it's taken off, um, there are little images of flies. And if you give men something to aim at, and it is men in this instance, if you gamify it, if you give something men to aim at, then and change that behaviour, then far more accurate, less mess, less cleaning, less cost. And I just love that little example where you had huge savings and costs just by doing some small idea and really getting across that these ideas can be very small, but have huge impact. So it's something I've been encouraging the teams and really say, you've got the freedom. No, no one's stopping you. You, you are the, the stopper as such. Um, so we're always testing ideas, always different doing pilots, um, that we can measure just to keep that creativity open and alive. And I think just going back a little bit to, to what you were saying um, around re-looking at what you use the office for, certainly us as an agent, so what you use the workplace for and, and redesigning spaces. And as we've come back into office life from all being, you know, a 90-person agency all at home, uh, nothing on the scale of Cisco. But for us, it is about using it to create, um, to to be together, to, to have those little moments of inspiration, to collaborate, and to have that freedom to step away from our computers, from our emails, and sort of really looking at kind of redesigning our space to be somewhere that we drive our creative thinking, which I think is really exciting moving forwards. Yeah, no, I think it, it gives people a real reason to go into the office yeah. and an enjoyable environment. Uh, we haven't yet gone back properly. Right. So when people are going in, you know, and they're joining calls now, more and more so are doing, then they're quite lonely. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to really, you know, look at the reasons why we're going back to team meetings or particular areas. But one thing that we have agreed because we will never all go back, that you will always be in a meeting when someone is virtual, um, particularly in large companies, maybe not yourselves, sorry, maybe not the, the smaller companies. But for us, every meeting will be hybrid going forward. Because, you know, if I look at my leadership team, they're all going to have to come in from other countries. And we're not going to do that for a while. But what virtual meetings have done is that equaliser. So everyone has the same experience. And gone are where you have these sidebar conversations and you're joining remotely and you see 15 people in the meeting room and you feel a bit isolated and out. 
So we've agreed there's some different rituals and rules to, to some of these meetings. And one of it is, is when we do go more hybrid, that our meeting facilitator will always be someone virtual. Yeah. We're always caring for those who are virtual and not with us face to face. I love that. It's such a good idea. And, and we've taken a really similar approach. It's virtual first and create something for a virtual environment. And then if you are in the office, then the, the priority becomes the, the sort of the, the team who are virtual. Yeah. Bringing you in here, Andrew, um, and, and pivoting slightly. So according to, to B2B marketing, growth marketing is the number one trend that marketeers are focused on right now. It's jumped into first place. Um, but before we get into a conversation about kind of what that means in the context of Emma's role and Cisco and B2B brands, what does the industry mean by growth marketing? Well, you know, the industry loves um, some jargon and we love some buzzwords and um, growth marketing. I'm not really surprised that it's become the most popular term. I suppose what it means in simple terms is positioning marketing as an engine room for growth, really. And then in real terms, what that means is you focus on the full buyer journey and the full funnel, which for me is fascinating for B2B marketing. So instead of just thinking about how do we drive awareness or or leads or whatever that may be, what part of the funnel, we look at it holistically. So we start thinking around um, referrals and retention. And to me, that gets really interesting. The consumer world has done that for years. But B2B marketing, if I'm honest, is a little bit behind the curve, or some brands are. That's really interesting, Andrew. I love the way uh, marketing gets sort of rechanged so often. And Emma, what does that mean? I mean, it's in your title. What does it mean at, at Cisco? Um, yeah. And is it a broader shift or is it just additive to what you've always done? Do you know what? I never really thought about that. One day we just called growth marketing. I was like, whatever. <laughs> okay. We're just keep waiting for it to carry on. But um, I never really thought about it. I'm like, okay. I didn't know it was in an in industry term necessarily. But having said all that, I completely agree with what, what Andrew has been saying. And for me, it's more positioning marketing right in terms of being really valued and the contribution that marketing makes. And, you know, are we perfect in Cisco in being able to articulate that value to sales? No, because what I've noticed, whether you're in finance or sales, Emma, if I put a dollar in here, what am I going to get out? Because I know what I'm going to get out from sales. And I'm, it drives me mad. I want to pull my hair out when I've asked that. But that is where we're trying to get to. And I think actually what the lockdown, what COVID, pandemic, whatever you want to say, has done is given, and I hope other companies are finding this as well, is given an increased appreciation for marketing. I think sales have, have definitely understood more the importance of brand awareness, of brand relevance, of demand generation, of that customer retention, reducing the attrition rate. So the life cycle, as we call it, Andrew, the life cycle absolutely is crucial. And that's hard when you work for large, large organizations because it doesn't even all report to the same CMO leader in Cisco. So we have to work extra hard at that. And that is, you know, when I'm looking, you know, next year, the life cycle is one of the key priorities. So really understanding that attrition rate, really building on the cross-sell, upsell programs, uh, to name a three, but also that articulating well, that real value that marketing's playing across the whole gambit. And, and I think that's, uh, I think that's that's brilliant. And that is where, you know, I like to think of myself as a champion for the industry. And that's where it's needed to go. 
um, for many years. And it has felt like the pandemic was a turning point for that. And I was, I was reading this piece in Harvard Business Review the other day where they were talking around um, you need to shift from competing to the competition to competing to create the best customer experience. And everything you're saying there about not looking at marketing as, as siloed either, you know, ABM supporting sales, uh, awareness supporting brand. It's not about that. If you can look about, look at it more holistically as the whole journey, that is where everyone takes notice yeah. and sits up and go, okay, marketing are really adding value across the, the business. Yeah. And I think it's such a positive and you can call it what you like. You can call it growth marketing. You can call it yeah. best practice. You can just yeah. just call it marketing. Exactly. But that I think we've, I've seen that shift happen just in the last 18 months. Yeah. And I think, you know, whenever I speak to other CMOs, you know, I had a nice CMO panel at our All Hands the other day, invited some buddies from the industry to, to join me on it. And um you know, one thing we're pretty consistent about, sales do not want to hear about MQLs and SQLs and the fact that they haven't followed them up or anything. You know, we've got to get out of that, which we are. Um, we can look at that internally. We can look at those metrics uh, quite happily and, and we do and look at our conversion rates, but don't talk to sales about that. You've got to up the level and really articulate the value in a, a completely different way. And where does customer advocacy fit within all this? You know, we work with many tech brands. We've all worked in tech for a really long time. Customer advocacy is always, it feels like it's sort of a perennial challenge, doing it right, having enough, telling the right stories. Where does it fit within this sort of shift to articulate marketing in a different way um, and the value of it? And just how important is it, I guess? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love customer advocacy. I think it's such an exciting area. And, you know, we've been on a journey the last four or five years, actually, because uh, I'm sure many people relate to you never have enough customer stories, you know, but also there's a lack of education because, you know, the amount of emails I get or go, oh, we've had this great win, Emma, you know, we need a video. I'm like, you've had a win. The technology has not been implemented yet. There is not a story People don't care that you've won that, you know, so there's a lot of education there as well. So we'll do a story once the outcome has been achieved, you know, with the technology. So we never have enough customer stories. All salespeople have thought they're equal and they deserve a video. They don't. There's, there's many acts of advocacy that can be done. So much customer evidence from testimonials, from demos, from site visits, from phone calls to written stories to video stories. And so we've been on this path of capturing all of this customer evidence and we're doing it to speed up the decision-making process. Peers like to hear from peers, far more they like to hear from vendors. You know, as we like to say, we live in a TripAdvisor world. We trust our peers far more. But there is so much to do. So we've worked on integrating into Salesforce because if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't get sales attention. We've integrated into a platform called RO Innovation where all our customer evidence, I'm going to call it, whether it's private or public, is now readily accessible with a click of a button in Salesforce. The beauty is sales can also nominate their customers you know, to do this customer evidence in all shapes and forms. So we can track that, both private and public, and then we can nurture in those stories. But when you look at that customer evidence, when you look at that validation to help that sales process, help that decision making, we can never stop producing enough. 
never enough stories to to do. So that's what we're on this mission um, of doing that and having enough when you filter in this region, in this industry, in this sector, in this country and, you know, whatever. So so it's it's just, and I, and I love it. And we have some great stories coming out and great developing the stories in a real, not just focusing on the technology and beating our chests, you know, how great we are, but really telling the story of what can be achieved by the technology. And we work very closely with our partners. Obviously, we sell a lot through the channel. And we've also developed a, a new partner advocacy platform as well, where my dream, my vision was to, as we sell through the channel, then I needed to treat the channel marketeers like an extension of my own team as well. So we've enabled that platform so we can really enable them and just be 24-7, you know, digitally 24-7 available for all our partner marketeers as well to make their jobs a lot easier and to simplify Cisco, quite honestly. <laughs> and, and that's so good to hear because, I mean, the customer stories and the evidence piece, and of course, that's the first step on the journey and, and it's the 101, but where customer advocacy gets really interesting and, and frankly, really powerful is when it comes to creating that community feel. Yeah. And and that's, you know, when you're genuinely supporting your be their partners or, or customers, making them look good, making their lives easy. To me, that's the real heart of customer advocacy. And you need a really good platform for that. The technology has got to support it. Yeah. And it reminds me, actually, where we recruited a lot of advocates were our big flagship event, Cisco Live. Mm-hmm. And actually, for the last two years, we haven't been able to run that. And the amount of feedback that comes from customers that, you know, they they miss that. And one of the sound bites that I absolutely love, it was when we set up our, our ad, customer advocacy platform is called The Gateway, so The Gateway into Cisco. And I remember one of the, you know, real rock stars we have now, he said, being a member of the Cisco Gateway is like having Cisco Live in your back pocket for the other 364 days of the year. You know, it's when because you just felt you're part of that community when you're on site at a, a big event and got that community through that virtual platform, which I thought was a, a fantastic soundbite. Because if we can create that community spirit and where where peers are helping each other, that's the most important thing. They're helping each other and getting advice and go, what do you really think about SD-WAN? Or what do you really think about WebEx and blah, blah, blah? Then, uh, you know, it's better they hear it from others than than, you know, just us. Absolutely. And, and and I was thinking about this and I may get laughed at by the rest of the team. I was thinking about what is at the heart of customer advocacy. And actually, you could break it down into um, four, three C's, uh, which would be the content. So having the right kind of content to fuel and support conversations, uh, community. So as we talked about, creating that community feel where people can ask each other questions. And actually, yep. in your case, you know, Cisco are facilitating. They're not necessarily always having the answer, but they'll be the person in the middle that can facilitate that. And also the last thing would be convenience. And, you know, you said that the world of live events is clearly never going to go back to what it was. We're going to have, they're coming back, but they're going to be hybrid. Uh, a lot of people are going to want to go for the, the digital side. And if we can get that digital experience right in B2B, particularly in, in B2B tech marketing, then I think that is the perfect feel for advocacy because it all kind of fits together nicely. And and that's where we're taking with it. So I'll say the word speed. We are now really impatient. And that's where the digital 
when we digitize everything, our digital experience, you know, our shopping habits, our, you, you name it, we, we're impatient, instant gratification. And that doesn't really change. That's been amplified, I think. And one thing where we're moving with advocacy um, soon, we haven't done this yet, but we are moving this direction, is if you imagine you're a prospect, you're going onto cisco.com because you're researching something in a particular area, we will have advocates lined up for that instant chat with you. So you can speak directly to a customer, existing customer, if you're a prospect. And I love the idea that we can facilitate that back to this speed, don't have to go here and then request this and blah, blah. It's like, here you go. These guys are lined up. They'll speak to you about this. Are you ready? And hopefully soon we are launching that to facilitate that as well. So... (laughs) You make it sound really simple, Emma, but you're also in one of the largest tech companies in the world. And and how, how do you make that change happen? You've obviously, you know, you note things on I don't know, either our website or internal advocacy portals need to be, we need change there. How do you make that happen as a marketing leader? First off, allow creativity, because someone in the team had seen that, just example on there, someone in the team had seen that they were moving to the U.S., And they were looking for schools for their children. And they're doing their research. They came across this website and this school. And parents, advocates, parents were there online. It was a small company. And they just loved that concept that they could speak to other parents, not the teachers, and hear the, you know, the normal blurb, how great the school is, direct from parents. And they thought, wouldn't that be great for us? So there's that creativity you know, that freedom to think, freedom. So they brought that to me and I went, love it, absolutely love it. Let's see if we can make it happen. And of course, the complexity comes in. So you have to be resilient. You absolutely have to be resilient. You have to love your idea to push it through because how does it integrate here? What does it mean? All of it. You've got to be persistent. You've got to be resilient. You've got to believe in your idea. You've got to socialize it. It's got to be cost effective. But as I said, no one stops. And if I keep going, keep going, keep going. I love the idea. Let's make it happen. Let's try. But then don't bore the ocean, you know, which we, we you have a tendency to do. It's like, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen on X number of pages in one country. Let's see. And then go. And when you boil it down, when you break it down to its, you know, individual pieces, then the idea doesn't become as big. I, no, I really like that. And it, and it comes back to something you were saying earlier about empowerment. And I'm seeing this with a lot more clients now as well. If you've got this culture where you can empower people to think for themselves, to come up with ideas, and, and, and I think you said earlier about testing them, and some of them may fail. That's not a problem. Yeah. Where there's a problem is if, if they're stagnant. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we'll be seeing a lot more of. And it, it could be the smallest changes that affect the customer experience. It could be a way that you engage internally with, with the sales teams and support them. But those, those sort of small changes and being open to ideas is making a big difference now. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the other thing, as well as the urinals e- example, then <laughs> another thing I'll share with the, the listeners maybe is um, if you think of a dandelion at the end of its life, all those seeds, and as a kid, you probably blew it. Yeah. And those seeds just go miles. If you imagine the seed ideas, some germinate, some go, some just just die. But the worst thing is to do is if you don't keep coming up with the ideas. So we do encourage, not encourage is probably the wrong word, but we do accept failure and go, not everything's going to work. Accept it. But 
I'd rather you fail than, than not try. I'd rather you keep going with the ideas, however big or small, think to the dandelion. And then, as I say, some will stick, some won't. But the other thing I, I say, which I think encourages that creativity and help, and it's a something I always do myself, I say to the team, ask for help, even when you think you don't need it, or especially when you think you don't need it. Because if you start an idea, and I do, if I think, yeah, I've got this great presentation, I've got this great deck, it's, it's great. And then I stop and ask people for input. It's always, always better when I get someone else to look at it and someone else ideas. So, and that's what we encourage to have an idea and build on it, build on it. Um, and uh, yeah, get the input, which is, you know, which works well. Yes. And just to end this, is we do the same thing within Harvard and, and trying to champion our teams. And, and once again, I'm sorry, I, I always go into jargon, but a growth mindset yeah. um, is absolutely everything we've just discussed there. You know, empower people to have ideas, to think entrepreneurially and realize that, yeah, you may make some mistakes, but that's the only way that we're seeing you know, new creative ideas come out of the studio, planning, just having a, yeah. a whole new framework for for um, how we can look at personas the, the content team just looking at what's next for digital yeah and i've led by example on failure to be honest because one of the things i wanted to try is a, a couple of years ago and we spent a shed load of money was on humor and i wanted to create something that was funny oh my god that was hard that was hard and when i saw the first bit that's coming out we used a comedian i'm not going to mention their name uh, we used a comedian. We paid a lot of money. It was absolutely rubbish. And the team at the time thought, right, we're going to get this out. And I said, do you know what, guys? This is not going out under my name. This is not going to go out the door. And they went, but we spent all this money. I went, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> let's put it down to a failure and let's move on. Because trust me, I would cringe if this got out and... We failed at humour. We failed at being funny. And that's okay. But that is not leaving the building. So, yeah, lead by example. I was once judging some awards and uh, they'd hired some comedians to do some um, yeah. to, to, to do some copywriting. And, and, and it didn't work. They were too... They needed to be too honest in order to be able to um, advocate for brand, which is quite, quite, quite interesting. I love what you're also talking about on creative around the school's idea with parents and the idea that you actually have to change something and do something to then build the creative idea off the back of, rather than starting with the creative idea and then working out how you're going to do something. You have a lot of that in the kind of ESG responsible business space, which is you're going to have to actions leadership is going to be more important than like kind of thought leadership. Yeah. And that kind of moves me on to the last question really. So with the end of the year um, rapidly approaching and I know this is really the start of Cisco's year. Yeah. You know, the end of 2021. And we're starting to look at kind of 2022 and some of the trends and, and, and predictions. So what do you think might be high on the agenda for next year? You've started to talk about growth and pace and speed, but is there anything else that springs to mind? Sustainability. That is going to be key. That's one of our, our key priorities and pillars. And when I hear sales, the amount of RFPs now that want to understand your sustainability strategy, what you're actually doing. And that will, you'll see us do a lot more from a marketing point of view of that. We're one of the sponsors of COP26. Uh, we've created a new, uh, you know, high level brand talking about smart buildings, bridge to possible, our power inclusive future for all. So sustainability 
and our proposition. But not only that, you'll see us more with stories on that for how we're enabling our customers and, and the whole impact. So the sustainability angle is very, very important for us um, in, in terms of this you know, green world that we want to and impact and, and influence. Um, more on a sort of marketing tactical level, I, I'm going to say ABM. But uh, for us, it, and then I know ABM covers a whole multitude of sins, but for us, I would say, it, when you look at what we're doing, you can say, oh my God, that's complicated. I like to use the word sophisticated. Uh, we are going to take a far more sophisticated approach, leveraging all of the data sets that we have, both the traditional look back data, but also the digital intent and be very smart about our approach to who we target, why and, and when. And we're looking at more of an industry-led lens, which we haven't, for multiple reasons, historically done. So be very, very customer-centric and see if we can move the needle there. Um, and of course, personalization. We've still got a lot of work to do in personalization, which comes back to this customer centricity, right message, right time, you know, right person. And as I touched on the life cycle, those are the key things for me moving forwards. Yeah. And um, Andrew, what have you got to add to that from a marketing perspective? Well, that's quite difficult. Emma's covered the absolute of the full marketing mix, everything <laughs> from sustainability to ABM. Um, now, what I would say is that after the experience we've had for the last year, 18 months, and, and everything is really beginning to stabilise now, and we've got into this new way of working, and what I'm seeing from uh, a lot of a lot of our clients, and, and I suppose coming out of Harvard as well, is I think now we can have a focus more on experimentation and embracing um, a bit more innovation. All the technologies out there, we've we've started doing things differently, and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that next year because people have got their plans in place now. They've been shaken up a bit and the businesses have reacted. But now it's like, okay, what can we do differently? How can we stand out and be a bit more agile in the way we operate? And and actually, that's the reason we're partnering with um, B2B Marketing at the moment. So this will be coming out in January next year is to, is to shine a light on the B2B tech marketeers across the UK who are doing things differently. And what's really interesting about this is, and it touches on Emma's point from earlier, this is you know, the leaders necessarily. This is the people who can be practitioners as well. They could be um, bringing in a new type of technology or a new way of thinking or embracing diversity and inclusion within marketing. And I just think that we'll be seeing a lot more of that as well next year. And I can't wait to see actually the, the winners of the index. Oh, amazing. I genuinely feel like we could probably sit and chat for, for an awful lot longer, but it falls to me to sort of bring us to the close. And just a huge thank you, really, Emma and Andrew, for, for joining us. And I'm trying to distill in my head a little bit some of the themes. And, and the, the word that really jumps out for me is freedom. Um, it was one of the things that we've talked about a lot in lots of different ways. So giving people the freedom to think. Um, I love that idea that, you know, the, the best ideas can literally come from anywhere. Um, and but if you don't have the courage and you're not within an environment that gives you that freedom, you might never share it. Yes. And then innovation, you know, won't happen. I also love the idea of, of customer advocacy at its heart being about facilitating and giving your customers the freedom to tell great stories about your brand and what you're doing for them. And that might just be providing them, as you said, with the platform to do it. 
and then just give, and trusting them and giving them the freedom to, to, to share what it's been like and the value that you bring. And I think that's such a lovely way of looking at customer advocacy and then freedom to fail and learn and leading by example as that as leaders. So yeah, just a really fascinating conversation and it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Ellie and Louis. Cheers, guys. Good to see you again, Emma. Yeah, cheers.